Hello and welcome to the very final Capitol record of 2023. I am your host, David Bonson, and I am excited to bring the year to a close here at National Review's Capitol record and to do so with a short but sweet trip down memory lane, kind of recapping some of the various guests and, and, and speakers and conversations we've enjoyed through, throughout the year. And looking back over this, you know, we're now uh, wrapping up our, our third year of Capital Record. Um, I am really enjoying doing this. I've frankly, more than anything else, enjoyed uh, just the conversations I get to have each week with the various guests. The, the conversations for me are not really a podcast recording. They're me talking to someone that I learn from, that I enjoy, about a conversation topic that I enjoy. And to the extent that we ever pull it off in a way that it, it edifies or informs you, then, then that's an added bonus. Obviously, that's why you would be listening as if you're getting something out of it. Um, but really, you know, selfishly, I just uh, have learned and grown and enjoyed so much uh, for each of these last three years, the weekly conversations I have that result in our Thursday posting of a Capital Record podcast. Uh, we fully intend for there to be a fourth year, and I look forward to what 2024 will hold. And, and let's go back a little bit and look at what some of uh, 2023 had to offer. It, it's funny because I, in looking over this list as I was preparing to record, um, there's a kind of trip down memory lane where I'll remember not only a given week and that recording and that topic, but then certain things that were happening in the news cycle at the time or in the markets in which I work. Um, and, and part of it is surreal that some of this stuff took place, you know, so long ago. Cause I, I remember many of these things as if they were, were yesterday, but we're, we're at the end of 2023 it's been a very surprising year for a lot of people in the markets, meaning financial markets. Um, we talk about that here on Capital Record. If we're going to do a podcast in defense of capital markets and, and their usefulness as a tool in a free enterprise system, then there is room to talk about uh, stock markets, bond markets, currency, uh, housing, monetary policy, a lot of these things that I think are not at the heart of defensive of a free uh, market, defensive of a free society, but are themselves directly related to the subject. And in some cases are tools with which these things can be enhanced. That's how I've always felt about capital markets. I think that they are a means not an end, but they're a vital means, a means worth defending because the end is worth defending. And if that end of human flourishing is facilitated um, and enhanced, and in some cases at the speed of light, and in some cases with dramatic magnitude by things like robust financial markets, then somebody has to go defend them. And those people who albeit sometimes are well-meaning, but ignorantly so, who will say they want to defend the cause of human flourishing or the end destination of human flourishing, 
but that they do not believe financial markets uh, are necessary in facilitating such, um, I, I think that we have to counter that position uh, with an intelligent defense of what capital markets have meant to a market economy and what they must mean going forward. And so I've always been pretty self-aware and tried to be uh, very transparent about what our agenda is. The agenda for me is not to defend Wall Street. It is, however, to defend Wall Street's role in what I'm really after, which is uh, that, that uh, flourishing that comes through a greater material and, and, and spiritual well-being is the byproduct of a good life. And, and that that good life we are after has both material and immaterial components to it. Um, that's what this podcast is about. That's pretty much what I've devoted my life to. When I go to work every day and, and pursue financial solutions on behalf of clients who pay us to give them advice and to, and to solve problems and to create, to be a solutions provider, that's what I'm doing. I'm harnessing the, the capital markets to be a tool. Um, and within capital markets, this is the beauty of, of how all of this so virtuously and cyclically works together, pro-cyclically works together, that you have people who are human beings with certain goals and needs and wants and, and aspirations, and that their goals and needs and wants and aspirations can be met with other people performing their goals, needs, wants, aspirations. That, that by um, Mr. Smith, who, who has a certain financial return and need, let's say in, in cash flow income need, uh, he can receive the dividend of ABC Public Company, and ABC Public Company can only meet the needs of Mr. Smith if they're out selling goods and services to other people that have needs and wants, that their products, their goods, their services meet. And so we, we harness free enterprise towards other aims within free enterprise. And, and I believe it's beautiful. And I think it's majestic. And I think it's provided the world its greatest um, advancement in quality of life at a speed at which we never would have thought possible. And I think that we basically do it invisibly. We do it almost entirely uh, without any self-consciousness. And, and so I want to record a podcast for 30 to 60 minutes a week to try to remind people that, in fact, that invisible hand that is moving markets, that is affecting transactions, that is delivering goods and services to those who want them, need them, that is allocating resources, managing the limitations of scarcity, that's doing it all in a, in a truly magnificent way towards a magnificent end and that we should be appreciative of this and we should defend it. And a lot of the podcast this year was spent defending it, defending it against people who have been at war with markets and with freedom for quite some time. Some uh, actors on the left, some uh, uh, proponents, zealots, uh, advocates of a certain progressivism uh, Marxism, 
socialism, uh, egalitarianism, collectivism. These are a lot of real dangerous isms. They've been opponents of what we stand for for a long, long time. And a lot of the podcast this year was devoted to, I think, a newer um, opponent. And, and I don't actually believe it's newer because I think what they're doing is borrowing arguments from others that are older. But it's newer in terms of the uniform that those doing so are wearing. That previously those identifying as being reasonably sympathetic with the cause of a market economy, with the cause of a free society, with the belief in a more laissez-faire approach to economic administration. Um, people who would previously have been generally aligned with some of those uh, suppositions that they now, uh, I think, are borrowing from the, the playbook, the worldview, both in policy and in, in ideology, of progressives. And, and this, to me, is, is a big problem. So, you know, we started off the year with some fun talks. Uh, Sam Ryans, who joined me several times throughout the year, came on early in the year for us to do a, a 2023 economic forecast. Um, and, and there were definitely some really pivotal things that we both got right there, and even some things that would now, looking back on it, be, be a surprise to both of us, particularly uh, the disappointment in China's economic growth out of reopening. Um, I had Anthony Scaramucci on, if you recall, at the beginning of the year. We were fresh after uh, off of the uh, implosion of FTX. I don't even remember if Sam Bankman-Fried had yet been arrested. I don't think he'd been arrested yet. He had certainly kind of had his public fall from grace and was under investigation. And then I believe his arrest was subsequent to my talk with Anthony. And, of course, he has since been not only arrested, but tried and convicted and imprisoned, but um, going through the kind of state of crypto. And as, as Mooch and I are, are want to do, we, we uh, went on a lot of different, shall we say, rabbit trails in the conversation. That, that, that January 12th episode with Anthony was one of my, my favorite ones of the year. Um, but I, I, I spoke with Rusty Reno late in the month, uh, back in January, and he was uh, one of several who we spoke to throughout the year about this view of a greater state involvement, uh, of the need to temper um, some of what we are fond of in free markets in order to hold together a certain moral sensibility. And, and it was a very civil, respectful conversation. I actually enjoy Rusty's company and conversation even though I do vehemently disagree with him on, on where he's gone with a lot of these issues. But I think it was an important discussion. And I think that not only was it important in content, but important in tone. I don't, as much as it depends on me, which it doesn't always fully depend on me, I want these conversations to stay civil and stay constructive. And to Rusty's credit and hopefully to mine, we, we kept it civil. But there's a profound and identifiable disagreement. Um, about where the state can play a role in, in facilitating virtue, and, and more importantly, I suppose, where the state cannot play such a role. Now, we entered the year with inflation still a predominant topic in, in discussion of the economy and policy. It, it certainly stayed 
uh, a subject of what the Fed was and wasn't doing throughout the year. And I brought on one of my very favorite economists, Dr. Lacey Hunt, uh, who I've learned an immense amount from over the years. I've been a student of Dr. Hunt's for a long time. Um, this is somebody who should not be taken lightly intellectually in his understanding of the history of economic growth and more importantly, his understanding of the history of economic slowdown and the various elements that algebraically, that measurably play in to diminishing return out of fiscal policy and fiscal overreach and, and his understanding of monetary aggregates and, and, and how these things play into projections for and expectations of growth and inflation. And I think that the conversation that Dr. Lacey Hunt and I had back in early February was prescient about where things would end up going on the year and where I believe we will go uh, in, into the future as well. When Patricia tried to donate to a conservative organization through her donor-advised fund, her request was denied. Why? Because they said she was trying to give to a hate group. That's why she switched to Waterstone, a donor-advised fund dedicated to upholding Judeo-Christian values. Waterstone is unique in the world of donor-advised funds. It accepts gifts of cash as well as real estate, business interest, oil, and more. They can help you receive an immediate tax deduction and make a difference for the charity of your choosing. With its charitable pooled trust, you can even generate a guaranteed income stream from your charitable giving. Waterstone strictly adheres to a Christian statement of faith, including a pro-life declaration, does not give to charities that contradict those values. Waterstone is trusted by so many men and women a conviction that they give $10 million per month in charitable grants. They can work with you or your financial advisor to make a giving strategy that fits your needs. Contact Waterstone's Giving Strategies team today for more information by visiting waterstone.org. That's waterstone.org. A big theme in 2023 for many um, engaged in some of these subjects, concerned about the state of the economy and the state of corporate America, was that of shareholder activism, shareholder engagement, the so-called Larry Fink factor, um, wokeism come to corporate America. Uh, I spoke with Jerry Boyer who is uh, a partner of mine in this regard. His firm is on retainer at the Bonson Group because Boyer Research is doing some of the most intelligent and effective and impactful work in shareholder engagement. And Jerry and I are doing that from a vantage point of a shared belief system, not just shared philosophy, but, but shared uh, commitment to tactics that, that I think are, are extremely important. And, and so Jerry was a guest back in February. Um, a couple weeks later, I had Derek Kreifels talking about where um, they could have an impact on how state money was being allocated, uh, uh, getting a voice to state treasurers um, and, and agencies around what they were doing, how they were playing footsies or not playing footsies with the ESG movement. Um, and so I think both those conversations with Jerry and Derek were, were really quite useful. Um, later on in the year, we had Jeremy Tedesco from Alliance Defending Freedom, who is leading the charge on this viewpoint diversity initiative, challenging corporate America to uh, maintain, if they're going to have standards of diversity, 
uh, make sure that they do not become monolithic in viewpoint, that they only embrace views of the cultural left, but that they are open to facilitating free speech, free perspective, free activity from all schools of thought, politically, religiously, culturally. Um, and, and so there, there were quite a few in that space that joined me throughout the year. And I think they were really very valuable conversations. The um, other one I want to highlight from earlier in the year was Glory Lou, her author of a just really wonderful book about Adam Smith. And later on into June, I had Mark Skousen, I had Dominic Pino at, uh, at, at National Review, who has just done some of the leading work in commemorating what was the 300th birthday this last year of Adam Smith. And we did a, a significant event around Adam Smith's 300th birthday with National Review here in New York City um, in June. Uh, but Glory's book that I read over the holidays last year and then had her on the podcast in February um, really helped to set the stage for what I think is a discussion about the legacy of someone 250 years ago that that debate still uh, stands today. In other words, the way in which we're interpreting Adam Smith and how he understood the tension between markets and morality is a debate we're still having today. And people choose to do revisionism of Adam Smith, either trying to treat him as an atomistic, secular, um, materialistic advocate of laissez-faire economics, or trying to portray him as a social justice warrior who, who was um, secretly actually tethered to mercantilism, not the anti-mercantilism he's known for, and, and, and tied to a, a very heavy hand of the state in matters of social justice and economic administration. And I think both do so um, a, as a means of putting the thumb on the scale, talking their own book, and uh, embracing revisionism as a strategy, when in reality, what I believe Adam Smith stood for, and what I think is the great cause of our day, is this marriage of markets and morality, this, this juxtaposition of freedom and virtue that are, of course, the cause of this very podcast. Uh, I had several guests throughout the year come on to talk about just that. Um, Ryan Anderson is always a favorite. Uh, he came on in May for us to talk about markets and the, and the common good. Um, and, and my, uh, really good friend here in New York, Michael Polis, uh, joined me in August, talk about much of the same Anthony Bradley, who has rejoined the Acton Institute. He and I spoke in early August about, um, marriage and culture and jobs and how many of these things intersect and overlap together. Uh, Dr. Andrew Abella from Catholic University of America, the dean of the Bush School of Business there, joined me um, in November for us to discuss the same. Uh, Stephanie Slade joined me after our time together at the Acton Institute last summer. Uh, and, and then Andrew Sandlin just a number of weeks ago, um, followed by Richard Reinch from, from American Institute of Economic Research, uh, all of us, Stephanie, Richard, Andrew, um, talking about some version of classical liberalism, of where those advocating for the state to interfere with markets for the purpose of advancing a common good, where they go wrong and where our need of the hour is a fusionism, a state that will protect freedom 
and civic institutions that will advance virtue. And, and I continue to believe that in the heart of that fusion of solution is the remedy for what plagues us in so many of these debates. Uh, there are many other guests as well. I mean, really, if I think back to Barry Habib on housing, just recently having Stephen Dubb on, on home building, um, I particularly enjoyed Barry Ritholtz about a month and a half ago, uh, who himself is a very established podcaster with Bloomberg um, and has a long history in markets and media. And that was a, a conversation I, I won't soon forget. Um, the, the, you know, I'm sure there's a number of other speakers I've enjoyed, obviously different discussions on monetary policy. I always love, I uh, had Louis Gavon to talk about the dollar back in May, um, Ramesh Panero from national review. He and I met in April, um, talking about a lot of these same things. And, and then, you know, one of the other ones I got to highlight was Don, who drove from George Mason, just overall kind of economic basics, economic, uh, uh, theory. Um, he is he is one who uh, has been very instrumental in my learning and, and frankly, um, was one of the better podcasts we've ever had. So if I'm forgetting any names here, forgive me. Uh, I, I think everyone we had on this year was, was wonderful. Um, I learned from all of them. I hope you learn from all of them. And I hope you're benefiting just from the way in which we're doing the podcast. I'm very open to any feedback you have, any guest you want to see, uh, any any particular uh, criticism you have of the way we're doing it, anything we can do to make this more engaging. Um, I, I take this seriously that why I'm doing it is to better equip people in the cause of this free and virtuous society. And if Capital Record can prove it all, I'm open to your feedback. And it doesn't mean we'll agree with everything or implement everything, but I, I'm, I'm a real, you know, uh, uh, thick-skinned guy. I can take it. So, we welcome your constructive criticism where we can make this better. With that said, I want you all to have a wonderful Christmas holiday. We'll take off next week as I will be out of the country with my family. And you will hopefully be enjoying your holiday season. And, and we can take a week off yourself from podcast. And then we'll kick it back up again uh, in early January as we get ready for the fourth year of National Review's Capital Record entering 2024. As always, thank you for listening to Capitol Record. Have a very Merry Christmas.